Hello, hello. This is Yarrow, and welcome to a special solo edition of the Vested Capital Podcast to kick off the year 2022. I hope you enjoyed all the interviews I released last year as part of this brand new version of my podcast. I rebooted it, rebranded it. It's now called Vested Capital. Before that, it was called the Yarrow Podcast. And if you go all the way back to the year 2006, when I started podcasting, I called it audio blogging back then. It was called the Entrepreneur's Journey Podcast. So it's evolved a couple of times into now today's topic of vested capital, which essentially means doing things to vest your capital, to grow your capital, to make money, whether that's growing your your capital through a business, which could be for cash flow, which could be for selling one day and getting a nice big hit of capital that way, maybe investing in all kinds of your typical shares, stocks, property, more newer forms of investing like crypto, DeFi, all the cool things going on in Web3. I interview people who are doing things in those worlds. So entrepreneurs, investors, any person who's focused on growing, vesting their capital. But for today's episode, I thought as we enter the new year before I start releasing new interviews, it's a good chance just to kind of recap where I'm at with my own projects, my own investments, just a way for me to say hello to you to kick off this new year as well. I'm always thinking about what kind of direction to take this podcast in in terms of what types of guests to get for you. I'm always excited about what's exciting me. Um, right now, I have to say, I'm super excited about Web3. But, you know, like most people, my own portfolio, my own net worth is diverse. I'm not one of those kind of people who throw all my money into Bitcoin. I'm not like a, a maximalist in the sense that my entire net worth is in one asset class. I do like diversity, frankly, because I don't think I could handle seeing my entire net worth go down by like 50% in just one week, as can happen with things like crypto and those highly volatile asset classes. In fact, as I'm recording this, we've just gone through, I guess, the the January 2022 crash of cryptocurrencies. My own portfolio, I was looking at it today, just in the last, I think, two weeks, so just really the year 2022, I'm down about 40% of what I have invested in crypto. Of course, not all my net worth is in crypto. In fact, it's only about 10%, I think. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not too worried. Also, because I got started in crypto in around 2017, I have seen enough of these ups and downs to kind of now be immune to them, at least more immune than I was when I first started. So I do, do feel you. If maybe last year was the first year you got into crypto, maybe you bought during, you know, any time really last year in the middle of the year, when it was hitting maybe 60000 almost in Bitcoin price and I think 5000 in Ethereum and all these other DeFi projects and, you know, new layer one coins and tokens were out there doing crazy growth, whether it's Solana or Avalanche or Matic, just listing a bunch that I pay attention to. Maybe it's some of the gaming tokens as well. Decentraland, there's so many out there, so many places to put your money in crypto. But of course, as we look at the charts today, as I'm talking to you on January 23, when I record this, 2022, the numbers are way down. So you'd be hurting. And if it's the first time you've been through this kind of experience, it's very easy to have a lot of fear because you see on paper, if you haven't you know, sold out, that your net worth is significantly down. The thing to remind yourself of is your net worth in crypto anyway can be significantly up in a short period of time too. It is a highly volatile asset class that really moves rapidly. You know, This is something you have to get used to seeing 
10%, 20% gains and losses in one day. That's just what it does. Over time, of course, this should be an asset class that gets more stable, but we're very much in the wild, wild west days. Brand new. It's almost as if this is the first time the stock market ever opened up. You can imagine what the trading was like back then when uh, companies were first ever traded publicly. So it's a similar case with a lot of these cryptocurrencies. However, don't want to dive into crypto just yet. I've got that on my notes coming up to go over with you. As I said, I want to review everything I'm focused on this year and also just give you a little, I guess, window into how I'm vesting my capital, vested capital being the topic of this podcast. So let's start with what I'm most known for. It's actually kind of a bittersweet place to begin this episode. I have made a decision. It's a decision, honestly, that was in the back of my mind for probably a good year or two. And if you're not familiar with me, just in case, you know, chances are you may not have been listening to this podcast forever, as it has been around now for, I don't know, about 15 years in different shapes or forms. But if you're not following along with my career, a majority of my time has been spent as a teacher of how to make money with blogs and email lists. I'm basically an education marketer, and I help other people who have something to share and teach to turn that into a business. So I called these people knowledge experts. Really, every human being who's learned how to do anything is a knowledge expert on something. But if you make the decision to turn that knowledge into an online business and sell some kind of digital information product, for example, some of my students, some of my past clients, they were in areas like acne, treating acne, how to become a speed reader, creating shampoos and conditioner products, kind of like entry-level chemistry, buying and selling, obviously, stocks, starting businesses, sports. One of my most successful students, Mitch Wilson, did really well with a blog on sports betting and supporting that community. So basically, people who are passionate and have spent a lot of time on one particular thing, and they want to take that knowledge and give it away for free, but also sell maybe an online course, a membership site, ebooks, could be all three of those things, digital goods and services. I have spent a big chunk of my adult life teaching and practicing the art and craft of content marketing and selling through email. And my main product in that business is called Blog Mastermind. It's the 2.0 version I've been selling for a good six or seven years now. Before that, there was a 1.0 version which, which sold since 2007. And frankly, to you know, really put it all out there, those two courses, along with some other courses I sold in that same business of teaching online business, is responsible for, I'd say, the majority of my net worth. So a lot of the money I've made, and I should say this too, a lot of the money I then put into other investments which helped grow my capital, the starting point was cash flow from sales of these courses. So all the way back in 2005, I started a blog. That was not my first business. I already had seven years of running two other businesses. One was an online essay editing company. The one prior to that was a card game business. I've talked at length about those two businesses and also my blogging business on so much of my content. So if you are interested in that part of my life, and also maybe that's something you're focusing on yourself, starting a content business, head to my blog, yarrow, Y-A-R-O dot B-L-O-G. Lots of content there around how to start a content marketing business. So, But in year 2005, I'd already spent about seven years running some businesses. I started blogging. I started sharing my knowledge for free. And wow, lo and behold, I had an audience following me. I did not expect that, but it was a, a golden time for blogging. A lot of people discovered my blog. Google search was amazing. It was very easy to get traffic back then. And I grew this 
nice niche audience of people who are also interested in starting an online business. And then two years later, I grew an email list and then sold my first version of my course, Blog Mastermind 1.0. I'm not going to dive into my entire history around that business, but from that point forward, pretty much up till right now, the majority of my income came from selling those courses and the audience that I grew from blogging and maintaining an email newsletter was responsible for a lot of my net worth. But I have very much been focused on something else for about five years now. Um, if you also know my backstory, you know, and also if you're listening to this podcast, you know that I run a company called InboxDone.com. I'm the co-founder of that business as well. And it's been my main growth business for at least four years now. I mean, we started about five years ago, but it was a, a test side hustle to begin with. Once we saw that it gained some traction, people were really valuing the service and willing to pay for it. It became a company and we've been focused on it for you know a good amount of time. In fact, we just hit a pretty cool milestone with that business of finally crossing over a million dollars in sales. So that was a fantastic result. It's been a, a totally different type of business for me to grow. I used to sell education products. Now I'm selling a service provided by a virtual executive assistants. We provide email management. So you know, most of my income in maybe the last two or three years has been more as the co-founder of that company and performing my role as chief marketing officer. Meanwhile, my coaching business and my teaching business with those courses has still existed. I still run live coaching sessions every month or two. I still get a trickle of new customers joining those products, but I have not done anything to grow that audience. I have not done anything to augment those products in any way. So it's kind of been dying a slow death. And I decided this year, since I now am very sure I'm not going to be you know, rebooting or getting back into teaching blogging in that format. The funny thing is the Web3 world is very much entering the creator economy. I'll talk about this soon. So it's not like I'm saying goodbye to being a teacher or an educator around this idea of making money with content because, wow, Web3 and content creation is it's got some amazing opportunities to make money with your content, especially what's coming up in Web3. But my old formats, I feel it's time to close them down. So I made the decision to start this year off by actually closing down Blog Mastermind. It's about in its seventh year now, a good time to close it down. I created the course though, and this is something I always reiterate to anyone who's looking to create a course, build it based on fundamentals, not on techniques that will stop working within a month or two because something changes on the internet. And I say this from experience because the first time I made a course online, I wrote about some techniques that I recommended, for example, to grow your audience using platforms. And if you're old, you might know these platforms like Dig, Stumble Upon, Slashdot. These were, at the time I got started blogging, very popular and great sources of new audience growth. You could get featured on Slashdot. You could get a blog post high on the Dig homepage and StumbleUpon could also share your content far and wide and grow your audience massively in a short period of time. Now, most people listening to this now have no idea what those sites are. They're gone. They no longer are you know, in the, the limelight. They, I mean, some of them still exist. I know Dig still exists and Slashdot still exists. I'm not sure about StumbleUpon. But they've been well and truly superseded a long time ago by social media. Nowadays, if you think about traffic, you're probably talking mostly about TikTok maybe Instagram, previously Facebook, definitely YouTube is in the mix as well. Uh, you're not talking about some of those early Web 2.0 kind of platforms. And unfortunately, my first course mentioned those. So 
it was frustrating as the years went by with that course to go, oh, I'm mentioning these platforms now that are probably not the best choice. There are better choices. You know, Facebook was growing at the time. YouTube was growing at the time. So when I created the new version of my course, and here's the advice for anyone who is considering doing a course, focus on fundamentals that don't change because platforms change. For example, if you build a course today and it's focusing on, you know, certain things you can do in Instagram, but then Instagram removes those features, changes those features, you got to go back and constantly update your course or even potentially build an entire new one. So when I decided to build an entire new version of my course, I said, I need to teach something that doesn't change frequently. So instead, I taught essentially the fundamentals of content marketing. It was way more strategic. It was way more traditional marketing advice and sales advice. So things like how to construct offers and how to do so using emails and blogs, using the written word. I wasn't saying, you know, go to Facebook and create a page and do this because, you know, pages at one point were great and now they're not. So I didn't want that experience. So the course I've always felt comfortable selling because it really is a marketing course. It's teaching people how to start a content business and it doesn't matter which platforms you choose, which new ones come, which ones go away. That course continued to provide value. That being said, my own direction and sense of what I'm focusing on has changed. So I decided it's time to close down this course. It's no longer the lion's share of my income anymore. It, it was by far. You know, you go back six, maybe five, six years, and the ten years before that, like for the entire decade, I made fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a month in sales of these courses on autopilot. I had to do launches now and then. But really, for a long time, they were great cash cows, as I call them. So I had several courses. But, you know, time, things change. I grew tired of teaching that topic. And I also just didn't want to necessarily have the rest of my entire life be defined as a, a blog teacher. I still wanted to do different things in investing and entrepreneurship. It's even, you know, connected to why I changed the topic of this podcast and expanded it a bit so I could talk to you about crypto. I could talk to you about angel investing, starting different projects in different industries with different business models. Because me too, I wanted to. You know, the day I started a solar farm in Ukraine, I'm not going to share that story now. You can listen to a previous Vested Capital episode to hear me talk a bit about that. But that was the day I was like, wow, you know, I feel I'm constrained by calling myself just a blogger and teaching blogging. So, I wanted to expand a little bit there. I was doing different things behind the scenes. So all good things come to an end. I have started the Camp to Close Down Blog Mastermind right now. In fact, you've got till the end of January 2022 to take part in what I'm calling the very ever final, the very last class of Blog Mastermind 2.0. I will be doing live coaching sessions for all students of my programs up till June of this year. So you've still got another five months or five sessions. We're going to do five live coaching sessions. Of course, if you buy the course, blogmastermind.com is where you can go to grab that or just head to my blog, yarrow.blog, and you'll see the links there where I'm talking in my latest blog posts about the closing down of Blog Mastermind. If you do take part and sign up for the course, it is 50% off. It's like a final discount before I close it down forever. And you then own the course. So it's not going away behind the scenes. It's still there. You can take it at your own pace. And of course, if you do want to take part in the classes though with me, I should say the, the live coaching with me, there's going to be one every month until June of 2022. Yeah, so that to me is a, a bit of an, an end of an era. It's certainly end of a journey for me. I will be, like I said, maintaining those products behind the scenes, but I will not be reopening it. And I do not intend to. This is not one of those 
false marketing campaigns where you're like, you know, it's closing, but then you see it reopen again in six months' time with a new campaign or something like that. I am closing it down and it will remain closed. I may one day produce more training, but it will be a, a new format, a new brand, very likely more in the Web3 space anyway. So end of an era, but wow, I'm super grateful for all the time I spent being an online educator in the topic of how to make money blogging. And it certainly will continue. I still do so much content marketing today, even just growing my company inbox done, which is actually the second topic I wanted to talk about you in this podcast. I'm doing a solo episode if you're just listening in. And it's all about what I'm focusing on in 2022 and my own investment strategies and where things are going and where things have been. So with the end of my kind of teaching career around blog mastermind anyway, I have and continue to focus on inboxdone.com, my main business right now, which provide email management executive assistance. You can head to inboxdone.com to check that out. So my day job is basically playing around with, uh, maybe I'm underselling that. I'm constantly trying to improve our marketing and our sales, both on the website side and all the outbound things we do. A good part of last year 2021 was focused on the seo search engine optimization side of our business so i've been working with some writers to create new content and i've been working with a podcast agency to get myself on podcast both for the direct exposure of our company but secondarily to also improve how many incoming links we have and we're already starting to see the fruits of that labor our long tail phrases, which basically means that the niche keywords we're trying to go after, we're showing up now on page one or two for most of them. I'm about to kind of change gears. In fact, my focus for at least the first half of this year for that company will be to improve the quality of incoming links we get to make that final hurdle to get us really into hopefully the top well, has to be the top three positions, ideally, on Google. Uh, it's a bit of a challenge, not just for the ranking part, but because Google gives so much emphasis to ads nowadays. We do run ads on Google as well because, you know, you kind of have to. But it is frustrating to think when even if you get a number one ranking in Google for your search terms, you might only be in position four on the page because the first three positions are ads. And most people don't really realize they're ads because even though there's a little ad icon there, a little ad text, the average human being when they're searching doesn't really realize that and pay attention to it. So you got to give Google money. It's actually, I think, right for disruption. This model where Google and Facebook or Meta, as it's called now, owns the advertising space and they just get so much money because everyone finds things through social media or through Google and they control how that content is displayed and what the rules are. And as a person who spends money on Google ads and attempts to rank highly, you can see just how little power we have. I was frustrated recently because we have some campaigns running to target our own brand name, Inbox Done. And you're supposed to pay pennies on the dollar because obviously it's very niche. You're not going to have many competitors, if any, for your own company's brand. And you know you just want to make sure that if someone searches for the name of your company, you're showing up as the first result. Of course, as I just said, we are showing up for the first result organically, but there's ad positions. So you also want to put an ad up to make sure your company shows up for you know, that search. I'm sure you've seen this because anytime you search for a company name, usually you're going to see the ad version of that company listed in the Google search results first and then the organic result, which will be their company as well. But they're paying money if you click that first result. But it's supposed to be pennies, like maybe two cents, 10 cents maximum, because it is such you're obviously going to have the most relevant ad for that phrase since it's your own company. 
But I've noticed sometimes my clicks cost me $7 to get my own company name in a search result and have that ad. And that, to me, is absolutely wrong. You should not be paying dollars to advertise on your own company's brand on Google. But it's the way it is, and that's because they own these markets. So I'm hoping, you know, over time, and this is amazing to think because Google's been around and dominant for so long in search, but one day there will be probably a Web3 search engine that, when I say Web3, it'll simply be distributed and probably have more of a decentralized governance rather than just a company controlling how it works. And maybe the incentives will be different too. It won't be about let's maximize profits from advertising. It might stay true to the idea of let's focus on actually bringing the best search results you know, to the end user regardless of ad spend, which should not be playing a part in you know that outcome. I digress. So my focus, as I said, has been focused on inbox done and growing it. So I'm focusing on SEO. We're continuing to work on that business. We have some amazing clients. We have some amazing people working with us. Our inbox done managers, our assistants are fantastic. My co-founder Claire is amazing running that company. Our management team are amazing. Everyone there who does such a great job with hiring and training. So it's a great business. I enjoy playing my part in it and I hope to see it grow and I hope to help more people get break free from email. That's what we do with that business. So that's been a focus and continues to be my main business this year as well. I'm not sure, you know, where five years time, whether I still will be saying that, but I'm sure for the next couple of years, it's definitely my main focus as a growth company because we've built an engine. It is a a machine that services clients and I hope it will continue to do so. And I expect, you know, at some point it will contribute a amount of money to my net worth. Since we're talking about capital, I suspect that business one day will be sold and I don't know what that exit will be. It all depends on, you know, how big we get it. But it will be, hopefully, fingers crossed, a fairly large contributor to my net worth in some, you know, in the next five or so years. Meanwhile, though, we tend to put a lot of our money back into growing it right now. So it's, you know, it's not a huge cash flow source for me as a a day-to-day salary. It's just a basic entry-level salary, but that's fine because I enjoy running it. I want to move on in terms of topics. So closing down Blog Mastermind, still focusing on Inbox Done as my business. One last thing to talk about before I move on to more investment topics. I am working on a Web3 project behind the scenes. Uh, you might have heard me hint about this new project. It's actually been a not Web3 project for about two years behind the scenes, but it's kind of Never really taken off because I, to be honest, I've been a typical entrepreneur and constantly changing and, you know, redesigning what that business is. It's kind of like been a, almost like a skunk works project for me behind the scenes, knowing there's this thing I want to do. I have a general idea, but I keep changing what that idea looks like with Web3 and this idea of decentralization and blockchain and having a token and a cryptocurrency. There's been some opportunities opened up in that space to kind of merge my project in that direction. So I've started to do that behind the scenes last year. And this year, I suspect I will actually be showing you something for the first time with this new Web3 project. It is very much for creators. It's still in the creator economy. It's still very much about what I've been doing in terms of helping other people make money with their knowledge. So I'm building a platform in that space. It's still in the behind the scenes development phase. I've got the designs very much under development and the develop the back end programming is happening as well. So this is happening behind the scenes with my team in Ukraine while I work on my other projects. I just guide that, but I suspect hopefully in the next maybe I don't know within the next quarter I would expect to be able to show you the beta version of that. Fingers crossed, but I can't talk much more. I'd love to tell you the URL and, and give you some more information, but that's still a coming soon. 
But fingers crossed, if it actually does head in the direction I hope it does, it's the next decade of my life will be focused on growing you know, this project. So, But we'll see. You never really know. Okay, moving on. So now we're talking about actual investment. That's what the whole topic of Vesta Capital is all about. So as you know from the topics of this podcast and my own interests, they very much merge. The people I interview are in industries that I'm interested in. They're either entrepreneurs doing usually some kind of online-based business. It could be SaaS, could be marketplaces, could be Web3 and crypto. It could be traditional e-commerce, maybe even information marketing, although that's more in the past of this podcast. And that's because those are all areas that I personally invest in too. So I'd just like to recap my own investments. I thought this might be interesting and it's probably something I will keep doing as a tradition each year maybe at the start of the year or the end of the year, just to recap, where's my net worth? What am I putting my money into? What am I changing as things you know evolve? So the newest form of investing I've done is actually angel investing. And let's start with that as a topic. So for me, I set aside you know somewhere around 10 to 15% of my net worth I decided I'd like to put into angel investing. It's new for me. I know the time horizons, if you are familiar with angel investing, is usually five to 10 years. You know, you put an investment in today, you don't expect to see anything for five to 10 years in terms of return. But with the few that do turn out to be winners in your angel investment portfolio, those returns can be 10x, 50x, 100x, even 1,000x for the really big, you know, decacorn type returns if you get a company that gets a valuation, you know, in the multiple billions. I'm in year four. In fact, this was fun for me. I, I was just checking my history of when my first angel investment was made. Technically, it's not my very, very first one, but we're calling it my first of this actual me deciding to become an angel investor. And it was 2018. So I'm in my fourth year now. And it's an exciting year, but I still don't expect to see the actual first big return until maybe two years from now, I think would be the best, maybe one year for one of them, if it you know really ramps up the growth, but you don't really know. So unfortunately though, <laughs> I've maxed out my cash, my dry powder, as they call it in angel invest, venture capital, thinking of the name of my podcast here in venture capital, not vested capital. So I did commit to, yeah, I'm not going to go any more than a certain amount, I used that up in about three, maybe four years, but probably three years, really. I've used up all my capital. I mean, that could have changed depending on how other investments went and you know how companies are going. But just because of, as you'll hear in the next part, some of my investments have not done well, at least on paper, and probably we're all feeling the same based on when I'm recording this. A lot of asset classes like shares and crypto are down significantly. So, you know, there's not a lot of extra cash that I can just pull off of those assets without taking a loss. And I don't want to do that. So I basically ran out of dry capital for angel investing. And that's fine, though, because it, in terms of the strategy, I want to execute. I was very much following Jason Kalkanis's advice. His book, Angel, is a great book on this topic. His podcast, This Week in Startups, is a great podcast for angel investors as well. His philosophy, as is the philosophy for a lot of investors in angel investing and also measure capital, is to get that maybe 20 to 30 investments done and expect one to two to return you know, the profits, the winnings from that, that portfolio. And I did get to about 30. So I've done about 30 angel investments. The majority are through Jason's syndicate. There's a few through another syndicate and also through some syndicates I'm a part of AngelList. You might know AngelList.co. It's a, a huge platform for angel investing and also getting a job working for a startup. And I started with Jason for this round of investing anyway. And I think, I mean, as far as I can tell, almost all the winners are going to come from Jason. So he's awesome. 
can't say enough about Jason as a leader, a general partner in uh, investing as an angel and his syndicate is fantastic. And it's been so fun to get the reports from the companies I've invested in and see how they grow and then get absolutely nothing from some of the companies I invested in and get no information and assuming they're dying or not going anywhere. So, you know, getting the true range of experiences as an angel investor, the duds, the dead companies, which really breaks my heart because I know how as a founder, how much, you know, your, your dreams are tied into your business. And to know that 25 of the 30 companies I did are either going to go nowhere, maybe they'll be nice lifestyle businesses, which I think is still a great outcome for those founders, at least not for us as investors. But uh, yeah, it's hard to realize that some of these people are just, you know, they're not doing reports, they're not telling their investors what's going on, because they're not going anywhere. They're basically, their revenue is is flat or backwards. And I've totally get that i've run businesses and you know i know the challenge of a plateau business or a going backwards business in terms of your revenue and that's been not as big a deal for me because i've just been your typical entrepreneur without investors so it's all just my own cash flow it's not about trying to make my investors happy when you're taking on capital from investors the expectation is growth 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 and it's big growth you know doubling and doubling and then doubling again so if you're flat or you're even only growing at 10% or 20% or 30% a year, which might be fine for your own personal side hustle or your own main business, it's not good enough for a company with capital investors, with angel investors and venture capital behind it. So it's been great though as a learning experience. I'm very excited about what the next two to three years will bring because there's about five, maybe six companies in my portfolio that their numbers are solid, their markets are great. It's all a question of how big do they get? And I'm impatient because I would love to have a win so I could actually start doing more angel investing. That's kind of like my philosophy here. If I do get whatever return I get, you know, even if it's doubling my money or tripling my money, that would be amazing in itself. A lot of that cash will just go back into more angel investments because it's a lot of fun. And I think it's a great investment strategy. I, I love having angel investing as part of my portfolio. I say that with the expectation of at least one or two of these becoming a return that I can talk about. You know, if none of them do, maybe I won't be saying this because I'll be like, you know what? I just wasted a lot of money, uh, you know, 50% of my net worth on a bunch of companies that never returned anything. I think that's unlikely though. I do think that as a bare minimum, double or triple is possible in a decade. And I'm hoping more than that, 5 to 10x would be my expected result on my capital invested. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. So I will report back on that. I will actually probably dive in a bit more. You've already, I mean, if you're a listener of Vesta Capital for the last 30 episodes or the first 30 episodes since the rebrand, you would have already heard from Meowtel, one of my angel investments. That's cat sitting, Uber style company for cat sitters. And Tilliter, which is a grocery scanning technology. Those two have both been on my podcast. I'm trying to think of any other of my angel investments. I don't think so. I think that's it for people from my portfolio. I have tried to get Steezy, which is an online dance business. They kind of like Netflix for dance classes. They're growing quite well, become a sizable company. I've almost got the founder on, but he got super busy during the end of the year. So that may or may not happen. We'll see. And of course, I will continue to try and get the founders of these companies, especially the ones that are doing really well. I'd love to you know, just share more about their stories beyond what I know but also to you, my audience, what they're doing and how their companies are growing. So I will continue to talk about angel investing. I will continue to share interviews with the companies I've invested in whenever possible as well. Moving on. So my broader portfolio, this really is where the bulk of my net worth is. 
It's in property shares and cryptocurrency. In fact, I was just looking at some numbers quickly just to kind of get a gauge on really where most of my net worth is. In some ways, this surprises me. It shouldn't, but it did. It's actually in property. It's funny because it's the thing I consider myself least interested in as an investor. I love property, but I also hate property. I hate the management of it. I hate the problems that tend to surface and you know the way it can just take money. But I also can see the benefits. Even when things have been terrible, there's always been the fact that it's just growing because my tenants are paying the mortgage off. And there's also been capital gain in Canada where the bulk of my property investments are. So most of my capital in terms of my net worth, and not most of it, but at least 40% is in property. I might rebalance that this year. And I say that because I'd like to potentially sell one property. I'm crunching some numbers now to take that cash and redistribute a little bit. I'd actually got some opportunities to do some property investing maybe in the States, which would be potentially a bigger and better use of the funds. I'd love to get some more dry powder sitting around for crypto because it's been one of those situations where it's down right now. And honestly, if I had some the cash, uh, I would be putting it into crypto at the moment because it's down like 50% off its highs. And I, I've been through this experience enough to go, it's going to come back. And I say that, and I should also say, of course, as I say all of this, this none of this is financial advice. You hear this on so many podcasts and YouTube now, YouTube videos. It's kind of annoying, I guess, that we should all assume this, but legally, this is not a financial advice. I'm not anything to do with financial advice. I'm just sharing my own stories here. And my own story with crypto is one of seeing it you know, go up and down like crazy. Thankfully, uh, if you hear my solar story, I did pull a lot of money out of the crypto markets in 2017 to build my solar plant. So a lot of the capital gain for me was locked in at that point. And then I got back in again in probably late 2020 and have been in there since then and slowly acquiring more but today, as you know, it's a more crowded space. There's a lot of different crypto projects. And if you look at the top 100 list, there's all kinds of different things going on, whether it's from decentralized finance, gaming, real world projects like the Helium Network for you know, Wi-Fi distribution. There's so much stuff going on there. New Layer 1 tokens. And of course, decentralized social media, DSO. I'm also involved in that as well. So it's all very exciting times, but it's also meant that there's so many potential things to invest in. And it feels like each week, at least in 2021, it felt like every week a project was booming and you kind of just missed it. You know, whether it was something silly like, you know, Dogecoin or Shiba Inu, uh, these kind of meme tokens that would take off meme coins, just with the audience of the world catching on and deciding to all get involved for no fundamental reason other than we're all doing it. I didn't, <laughs> just to be clear. I never really, I had a little bit of Dogecoin at one point, but not much. I prefer to invest in the projects that I found more, you know, practical and more importantly, that developers were building things on. I have been and continue to be interested in like the polka dots and the Solana and Ethereum. Ethereum's always been my number one and continues to be so. So, you know, I've got, as I said at the start of this podcast, I've probably got about 10% of my net worth in crypto. I just said before, around about 40% of my net worth in property. And then there's a good chunk of my net worth in a broad ETF style shareholding. I use the Wealth Simple platform here in Canada to invest in basically a, a spectrum of companies that they rebalance for me. That's very much an ETF style portfolio. So I don't really touch it. I like to add to it whenever I feel you know more conservative. It's my conservative portfolio. It's barely down. Even though the broader stock market is down a lot, it barely moved. Unfortunately, a large chunk of my shares were me speculating on tech companies and SPACs at the start of this year. 
which is my biggest regret. Sorry, it started last year, 2021. So property has been good, but not great. My stable share is fine, doing exactly what I expect. It barely moves up and barely moves down. Crypto, again, doing exactly what I expect. It's been huge gains and then huge losses, but I haven't pulled any out since I started reinvesting again. The only place where I've really felt pain this year, and this is my biggest regret, really, I got interested in the SPAC space thinking it's like the new kind of craze like the new crypto it doesn't compare to crypto it's got nothing to do with crypto exactly but it was a place where companies were launching on the stock market using this vehicle called a SPAC I won't go into the technicalities of how that's done but it was a bubble at the start of this year and I saw big money being made there after I learned about it some what I thought were quite low risk investments because they have a a kind of like a base level they don't really go below their SPAC entry price, which was at the time about $10 per share. So if you were getting in close to $10, you pretty much couldn't go backwards as long as you followed some rules. Like, you know, once they announced a deal, if you liked it, you get out straight away. If you, you know, didn't, you might risk after the deal closing, it could drop below $10. But before a deal is announced, you pretty much, you know, have that buffer. I don't want to dive into a SPAC lesson right now to explain how that works, but let's just say, I moved in a fairly large chunk of my liquid cash that I had sitting around into SPACs and tech stocks. You know, I had some money come in because Palantir floated on the stock market and Pinterest floated on the stock market. And I had some secondary pre-IPO shares in those two companies that became liquid. And then I started to invest in some SPACs. They were EV SPACs and uh, desktop metal, which is unfortunately my worst investment to date. It's down like 80%, which really hurts because I was up 80% at one point this year on that stock. So I'm really down like 160% from the, the highs. Or, well, that's not true because you can't be down 160% because then it'd be in, in the negative. But you know, it's a significant switch from a high gain to a high loss. And as we all have, if anyone has rode the tech stock bubble, you had the potential to exit the top, you know, kind of mid-year, mid to third quarter year 2021. And then just watched everything come down 50%, 60% from that point. So unfortunately, a fairly not insignificant amount of my net worth has been hit hard by the tech and SPAC crash. I did get some wins from SPACs because I pulled some money out. But I think overall, especially if I was to liquidate everything now, I'd be down overall. But that's just the game I decided to play. I went into a high risk category. I probably moved too much in there. I was expecting it to be like more of a quick in and out game. But yeah, like a lot of people... I was trying to time the market and uh, not really thinking it through about when would be the right time to pull out and when would be the, you know, how long to stay in. So some of my investments, I've just been writing them down for most of the second half of last year and I still have them, not all of them. Yeah, so definitely that's my biggest regret for last year. Uh, Everything else is pretty much stable. I wouldn't call it a good year because there weren't any like, whoa, huge gains. It's just been really diversifying and keeping everything in the market. Which leads to this year coming up, 2022. So I don't plan to change much. I'm going to stay in crypto. I might adjust a little bit with the property to liquidate a tiny bit just to put uh, rebalancing just a little bit to have more dry powder so that I can move into crypto when it does crash like or drops like it has now. And also just to have rebalance. I feel like I'm a little bit over in property and need to put it out into other places and take some of that cash and just also to have cash to live by you know as well just in case we don't know but as anyone who's been studying the financial markets as i record this the fed talking about increasing interest rates in the united states here in canada where i live it's also the same story just long story short there's not as much money 
it's pulling back from the crazy amount of money that's been going into the world from all the printing that happened, especially in the United States. So that's stopping and it should be reversing with interest rates going up, which just simply means there's not as much free, easy money. When I say free, I just mean money with low interest rates that anyone can borrow. So when that happens, there's a contraction. And unfortunately, everything is tied together. So even though you know the crypto markets shouldn't necessarily, from a fundamentals uh, level, be attached to what the stock market does, because a lot of cryptos are their own companies, their own projects trying to solve problems. But as a broader market, it's all tied into what the world economy is doing. So when the, the world cash flow source starts to go backwards, stock markets start to go backwards, crypto starts to go backwards. And there's even talk of the property market as well will also start to go backwards because, hey, same story. There'll be higher cost of lending, less properties, you know, not so frothy as it's been. Hard to pick the future. I'm staying conservative. I definitely, you know, focusing a lot of my time on my own companies, increasing my cash flow. In fact, that's probably my number one priority is just getting my cash flow up so I feel more comfortable about what's coming in from my own projects and not necessarily feeling like I have to rely on gains from any kind of investment, which I think is always, you know, a smart place to be. Okay, so I'm going to start moving towards the end of this podcast. I hope you found it interesting, a little different from the usual topic of Vesta Capital, just sharing a lot of what's going on behind the scenes with me. I'm being a little bit cryptic. I'm not giving you transparent numbers about the value of every property or every angel investment or, you know, round numbers with how much I have in crypto. I A, just don't feel there's any point doing that because it's constantly changing. I like giving you like a broader view of what I'm doing, how I'm trying to invest my own capital. I want to end today's episode with the topic of this podcast. So vested capital. This has been an interesting one for me because podcasting is a hard place to play in. It is one of the more difficult media formats to grow organically because it relies a lot on either word of mouth as a primary driver and or some kind of you know unique thing like having a high recommendation engine like iTunes ranking you number one or just showing you to people in the platform, which is, you know, the top 0.01% of podcasts enjoy that kind of benefit. So really, it's a word of mouth game. There's a lot of people focusing on social media as a way to grow a podcast. So sharing snippets and things like that. I've heard of a few people getting results with like TikTok, reaching new audiences, sharing snippets from their podcasts, doing that. Twitter, same story. But most people I know who ever grow a large podcast do it because of word of mouth. You know, someone says, go listen to this episode. A bunch of people do. Maybe there's some other podcasts talking about your podcast. You start to become a name and then away you go. That's it. So it's very difficult because there's a lot of podcasts like mine. We have an audience. I have an audience, but it's not an audience large enough to say this is a main project for me, my main business. It's not. I'd love for Vested Capital to one day potentially be one of my main businesses and you know have a team running it with me and I just show up and record but right now that's not the case so to continue to produce a lot of episodes and when I say a lot you know I'd love to do like three a week there's some costs there's editing costs there's software costs there's my own time costs so I am still committed to doing this podcast but it's not at the level I'd like it to be I'd like to have a machine running behind it and I just don't have the budget for it right now so we're going to see. It's not the end of the show. I love Vesta Capital. I love my podcast in general. It's still one of the best ways to connect with people and leaders and business owners and entrepreneurs, investors, and so on. That's the number one benefit. I would love to see a breakout result in terms of seeing my audience growth in this podcast happen. Because frankly, I most of the time, if I look at my stats, I love you guys and gals, but it's the same chunk of people that listen to this over and over again. I don't seem to be cracking into 
any new audiences, at least based on last year where I was pumping out these you know 30 episodes for you. Just to, I was doing that as well because I wanted to really focus a bit of my energy there and see what would happen. So you're still going to get episodes this year. I don't think I'm going to be doing three a week as much as I'd love to unless something changes. If I get a major sponsor, if I get involved with some kind of podcasting support system, I don't know. I put my feet in or you know stuck my hand up for a few opportunities with uh, podcast options out there to see if something, maybe a door would open. But for the time being, it will continue to be what it is. I will release interviews as I bump into and connect with interesting people who kind of match the criteria for Vested Capital and maybe do these solo episodes as well uh, when I feel like there's enough to share with you. Okay, so wrapping up, thank you for listening to this new year, first episode for 2022. My name is Yarrow. You've been listening to Vested Capital. Technically, this is episode 31, first of 2022, January. I'll get this out to you as soon as I can. And I'll be looking for more guests to share with you, entrepreneurs, people doing things in Web3, in crypto, in DeFi, in DSO, in de-gaming, decentralized gaming, all these great topics. If I find some uh, innovative property investing stories, I will definitely look for those kind of guests. Shares, you know, it's, it's hard to find, I think, really innovative stories around that world of investing. It can be sound very much the same. So I don't want this to become a stock picking podcast. Probably the most you're going to hear from are, of course, entrepreneurs, though, since entrepreneurs are always doing the most interesting things in new markets with new ideas and, you know, disrupting old ways of doing things with new technology. And I love that. That gets me excited. All right. I'm going to end it here. Thanks again for listening. You can find this podcast on all the platforms. If you just search for Vested Capital or Yarrow is my name, although if you search for Yarrow, you'll also find me on a lot of other podcasts that I've been interviewed on. So the best way to find this show and to recommend it to others is to search for Vested Capital iTunes on the Amazon, on Spotify, on all the players out there, Android as well, Google, and you will find Vested Capital there. And of course, on my blog, yaro.blog, you can listen to all the past episodes as well as find links to subscribe on whatever platform you currently use on the yaro.blog website and just click the podcast tab. 